0: Hello everyone, my name is Destiny Okoroma and today I'll be discussing the analogy of risk, sex, sexuality and DUIC. So, in the lecture we've learned about various types of risk, as well as numerous hazards that affect risk in different ways, and help with a study that underlines comparative risk assessment. So, through a variety of research techniques created to conduct comparative risk exercises involving members of the public, I will be taking you on a journey to understand risk assessment like no other. We will analyze and discuss pressing matters such as the topic of ecological hazards and how they viewed by the public from a health and safety standpoint. Using risk and behavior as the main factors that influence their decision-making skills on what they view as risky versus what they do not consider as a risk. In addition, I will tie this factor into the analogy of DUIC and the increased use of marijuana while driving in Canada, and the torn risk perception from the general population of whether they are more better focused whilst driving impaired or if this is a growing legal issue, especially concerning the use of cannabis in Canada. Whilst these two points hold weight in the analysis of risk, another factor I would like to use to tie this all together will lie in the scope of research and this will be done using week five reading of HIV prevention and bisexual realities by Namaste, where the discussion of biased research that only focuses on behavioral patterns rather than deep scientific logical standpoints that allow the public to delve deeper into understanding why people adopt high risk behaviors when various other factors show a different angle to highlight why this adoption is a risk would be used to tie this whole point together. To begin, I know that's a lot to take in, but we'll start at the easiest part. So in week five reading, agritates, disaggregates, and hybrid analysis of ecological risk perceptions by Willis, D.K., Fishkoff and Morgan, we are introduced to the concept of risk and hazards. According to the reading, we know the concept of risk and hazards differ in many ways and cannot be compared as both and allied on various endpoints of the health and safety spectrum. However, there are multiple routes that have been created to observe and conduct proper and adequate risk assessments using various members of the public as a tally and for the effectiveness of this research to take place, this has been done so using the context of ecological health and safety hazards with informational materials, which have been implemented to aid group discussion on the concept of risk in total. During this research, Fiscoff developed this um, psychometric paradigm used to aid in identifying the characteristics of hazards that affect people's judgments on what they classify as risky. In hindsight, this just allows the participants to rate many hazards based on several attributes and provide judgments of those hazards on several dependent variables, such as their riskiness or acceptability by the general public. So using this tally, it was later observed that three factors were the main players in influencing the participants' decisions, which were personal and societal exposure, dread risk, or unknown risk. So researchers have discovered that people perceive risk based on the level of threatening or menacing versus if the risks are truly unknown. For example, people are more scared And concerned and have a large fear when it comes to incidents that are out of the scope of their control, and in turn, fear incidents whereby the risk involves a large body of people. For example, this would be compared using a car crash versus a plane crash. Even though you're more likely to die in a car crash, people would fear the plane crash, mainly because of the whole scope of it. A plane is a large body that's out of people's control and that's up in the air versus a car where you drive and to an accident, you can either, depending on how um, bad the situation is you can either avoid a, a car crash or there's a slim chance of survival with a car crash versus with a plane crash where there's zero percentage of survival so even though the probability is more people usually fear things that are out of their scope of control such as a plane versus a car crash however the concept of unknown risk is completely different as people are more likely to have less dread and less fear over the unknown if they are completely unaware of the risk involved in participating in the hazard in question so, for example, there's less dread for some people who drive, even though they are aware of the dangers, the level of control they have over the situation may not occur to them as a reason to dread or have this assessment in mind when carry out, when carrying out the action. Whilst in some cases, they cannot simply imagine the act and do not do not have a dread attached simply because they are known of the risk involved in taking Part in that hazard per se. The question then digs deeper to how people gauge the concept of risk and hazard and the reason behind their judgments. In a reason I find that aggravate level hazard focused factor analysis and all the entails was the most sufficient based approach that made researchers and made by the researchers and the underlying factors used to arrive at the results which was based on logic, variables and attributes given to the hazards in question to not only understand the behavior aspects, but these attributes were were distributed to show its ecological risk alongside overall risk attached to them. So to continue, um, I use this point to tie into the reading of the DUIC. With the research that had been done, um, there have been many discrepancies on the topic of risk judgments and accountability. In the research, there are evidence that the more human control given to a situation, the less risk tied to the situation. So the discussion ties in with the reading of driving under the influence of cannabis risk perceptions and behavior, where risk perception on the matter of DUIC is a divided topic for the public. In the research carried out, evidence retrieved, the evidence retrieved suggested that DUIC is de- the detrimental factor to road safety and there are increasingly more accidents occurring per year especially after the legalization of cannabis in Canada. Although one of the main comparisons prior to um, prior was the accident rate of a DYC versus DUIA, individuals still believe that in this case these two drugs carry equal weight on the grand scale of accidents that occur daily on the road. So risk perception and assessment it's a determining factor for analyzing DUIC behavior. However, there's still much more improvements to be made of which perception amongst the public. Since the legalization of cannabis in Canada, there had been little intake made by the public on the measures of on the measures put in place to divert risk association with DUIC. Since the increase of DUIC, there had been an implementation by the Canadian government on stricter drug impaired driving laws, as well as funding towards a co- educational programs on the matter and prevention, preventional tactics set in place. However, this has done only so much to shape an individual's beliefs and perception of risks associated with DYC, nor has it done a grand scale of, deter, um, of the deterring an individual's behavioral patterns when it comes to driving under the influence of cannabis. Whilst um, the studies taken has shown interest in the characteristics, attributes and motivation of those who partake in DUIC, little to no information has been gathered to analyze how these individuals perceive this risk against the public. There has been no research um, mechanisms used to assess the full overall risk, ecological risk, accessibility of the current risk levels and strictness of the current regulations set in place for those risks. However, although people have a divided um, standpoint on the overall risk of DUIC, the acceptability of the current risk levels are much higher than that of driving under the influence of alcohol. As the tally did show that people who are driving under the influence of alcohol are more likely to get stopped by by the police than people driving under the influence of cannabis so there's still a shaky topic on the accessibility of the current risk levels as this is a divided topic amongst the general public and with the strictness of the current regulations with the increased use of DYC there had been much stricter rules implemented by the Canadian government on driving while impaired so the main concerns lies in the inability for individuals to fully assess why they're aware of to assess why they are aware of the risks associated with DUIC. However, even with proper risk assessment tools being made available to them, such as education, stricter laws, or much more, they are still willing to adopt high risk behaviors, such as driving under the influence of cannabis. Such research uh, mechanism on the action taking was discussed in HIV prevention and bisexual realities by Namase where through research she analyzed both the behavior, logical and motivational context that facilitates people who are aware of HIV and AIDS and the problem it entails. To still participate in the high-risk behaviors that increase their chances of being affected, the lack of education and informative platforms being made available, the constant stigma, the public shame and lack of research surrounding those affected have all contributed to the abandonment of risk by individuals. Although people are aware of the risks associated with HIV and AIDS, there still needs to be more public awareness on the prevalence and incidence of the disease, as previous research has only pointed the main individuals being affected to gay men due to the bias criteria shown in surveys being given. So essentially, although there has been lots of research being made towards understanding HIV and AIDS and towards understanding the risk and behaviors that people adopt to, um, to divert the risk and to make people more aware of the risk assessments um, towards this disease, um, there's still a lack of proper risk management, there's still a lack of proper engagement, there's still a lot of lack of um, medical um medical facilities being associated to the victims involved. So essentially the risk behavior here is unable to be fully to be fully um, analyzed as much as it is with other different factors. This is simply because um, although people are aware of the risk involved with HIV and AIDS, there's still um, a huge gap to be covered in terms of the resources that are being made available to them. In terms of the research that's been made to how exactly they can go about living with HIV and AIDS, there's still a lot of risk, I mean, there's still a lot of lack of um, the basic amenities that they would need to go about um engaging in proper risk assessment and due to the bias criteria that's been shown in the survey given, which was um tallied based on whether men or women had only had um had only had sexual partners with um Sexual partners within themselves. Um, when the research had been redone, they did realize that about thirty percent of about thirty percent of the individuals who had marked themselves as being gay were actually bisexual. However, due to the um, very tight criteria that was given to them to assess and to assess and understand where exactly the um, affected parties lie there was still some discrepancies there. And due to that specific reason, it also tied into the basic um, it all, due to that reason per se, it also tied into the proper the lack of proper risk management by the general public and all, also the governments in by also the government involved. And it also was exposed during the tainted blood case, the policy and how it has basically Affected the laws that have been, uh, the laws that are implemented by the government concerning donations of blood by members of the LGBTQ. So essentially, in the Tatum blood blood case, um, there was an issue of there was an issue of institutional trust, as the blood that was donated wasn't properly tested, and it affected over a thousand Canadians, and over a thousand innocent lives were greatly affected and great greatly ruined by that however due to the research that had been given towards HIV and AIDS due due to the um, knowledge that had been generated from the studies of that had been generated from the studies of HIV and AIDS um, there was still a stigma there whereas the government's decision was to not accept blood from gay men as they were as true um, the prevalence and incidence reports show that most um, gay men were affected by HIV and AIDS dearly. Um, so, in, so in summary of what I'm trying to say is that with um, this assessment it fully lies in the level of education, the governmental I- I influence and much more on the general public and it just shows that even though these are all different topics, and even though all these are all different scopes of analyzing research or analyzing the concept of risk through different forms of research, um, it just goes to show that um, one of the main factors of risk assessment and how people view risk lies in the conditions that they are met with. And although um, there have been lots of different elements and there are lots of different factors that that. Um, present themselves when people are taking ser- surveys or when research is being made on the concept of risk. There is a big discrepancy when it comes to different topics that are more socially acceptable versus topics that are least socially acceptable. And it's heavily biased on personal behaviors of the people involved, but there also needs to be more logical standpoints and more logical um, in, in intake from the general public with and logical intake from researchers as well to fully understand the concept of risk and to fully ask much more engaging questions or much more engaging um, feeds on what people analyze as risks just just to give a better understanding and a least and a less biased standpoint of what people think are risky versus what people don't think are risky. So um, in all of this I hope that this kind of um, just tied up together really well and I hope it just showed a great understanding of what risk assessment is and how it varies depending on the topic you're talking about or the level of engagement by the general public or how this is just essentially viewed by everyone else and yeah thank you for listening thank you for coming to my podcast and I hope to see you again thank you bye